0: So here we go. If you've got a Bible, let's teach the Bible. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Haggai. It is a minor prophet. If you need to use the table of contents, there's no... Shame in that. It's a small book, so you might need the table of contents. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the ends of your rows. Just ask somebody that's sitting near the end to pass one down to you. We've been doing this series on the Minor Prophets, and so we kind of fly through the whole book of the prophet. They're Minor Prophets not because they're unimportant, just because they're shorter. So the book of Haggai is two chapters. So you see it's a short chapter. uh, But they preach a major message and a major gospel and uh, it's been really fun going through the prophets. These prophets were uh, important positions in the uh, country, the nation, the people of Israel. Uh, they were the mouthpiece of God, and they spoke to kings, and they encouraged direction for the community, and, and Haggai hey is no different here today. We'll get to see uh, him uh, teach us about setting our priorities and finding out what's truly important and what's, what's truly important. Should be at the forefront of our thinking and our mind in this life, okay? And to do that, uh, he's going to help us see the things that are eternal and the things that are temporary. Because when we're making decisions in life, we need to know the things that are eternal and the things that are temporary. And so, like most situations in our life, there are things that we need and there's things that we want in order to figure out the big questions. Of life, the thing that we want in this situation is a time machine. That's what we want. The thing that we need is faith. Let me explain. We need, we want a time machine because we want to be able to go into the future and see which things last, which things remain through it all, so that we can answer the question which. Where should we invest our time and energy and our money? We want to be able to take a time machine. That's what we want. But guess what? I don't know anybody with a time machine. Though there are those that claim. I looked it up. I was like, does anybody have a time machine? What we need is faith. And faith is not the same as a time machine, but it's trusting in the God who sees the beginning from the end and trusting what he tells us is eternal and important and of greatest value, and therefore we invest in the things that he tells us to invest in. I mean, think of the Romans. Think of the Greeks. Think of how, if you talk to them in the moment, they thought the things that they were building would last forever, that their culture and community would, would, would last. And, and guess what? It doesn't. If they'd had a time machine, they could have gone and they could have seen, oh my goodness. Yes, people might remember our culture, but they won't remember much of it. And so this is a hard, this is a hard situation to be in, to be now, and to try to determine what are the things of greatest importance to pour myself into, how do I determine that? And how do I determine if it's temporary and fleeting? And I don't have a time machine, but I do have a son who's three and a half years old named Grayson, and every Monday he builds Rome in our living room, and every Monday he tears it down. <laughs> and so I get a really good glimpse in understanding what is temporary and what is lasting. And I, and I realize if I work with him, because I often do Monday's my day off, and, and we build and we work, and, and there's trains and tunnels, it's amazing cities that he builds, but I can't get too attached to those cities. Because it's usually before lunch that he has taken his dinosaur and he has destroyed and they. End of time scenario, <laughs> the entire village and town and culture that we have created. It is the rise and fall of the Roman Empire every Monday at my house, and so I see some things are temporary. Doesn't mean we don't spend our time building. We enjoy it. Uh, we work unto the Lord, but it will be torn down. So I can't get too attached. So those are the topics we'll be talking about today. And hey, guy, what is eternal? What is temporary? How do we invest our time and energies and talents? And uh, and this prophet will help us to see that. So let's read the very first verse to get our bearings straight in the book of Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter is the big number. Uh, if, if, you, if I say chapter 1, verse 2, it's the little number is 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. So chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Here are the players. Darius is the king, not the king of Israel. He's the king of the Persians. What had happened in 539 BC? Uh, Israel had been taken captive by uh, the Babylonians, and many, many of the people had been deported out of Israel. Uh, and then this massive empire of the Babylonians was actually conquered by the Persians. And the Persian king, Cyrus, uh, decreed that all the peoples that had been scattered and had been deported can go back to their homeland. Including, uh, there was three waves of the Jewish people that came back into Israel. And uh, this first wave is led by several people, including Zerubbabel, who is, what a great name, which is, uh, he is the governor of judah and joshua who is the high priest okay so the governor being sort of what governors do but he's a governor now now he's not a king he's a governor which is because the persians still ruled the land and then they let uh, the israelites have governors who would order the people and and do building projects and things like this. So um, this is the scene that we have, and Haggai is a prophet, and he's speaking to the governor and the high priest. The high priest would have been in charge of all the religious life of the community, including the temple. temple is the place, the center of worship for the people of Israel, which will be very prominent here. The temple was the place that God said that he would come and dwell in a very special place and that people could come to him and experience his peace in the temple of Israel. And so they're going to they're gonna start this project to put back together the temple that had been destroyed when the Babylonians had come in, and they're going to start rebuilding the temple because the temple was such an important part of their culture and society and the way they connect with God, okay? So that's the context of all of these words. And uh, one of the things that's just helpful to put yourself in the mind frame, the Persians, who, who's seen the movie 300? Do you remember the movie 300? That's the Persians with the really big army, and then the Spartans have the really small army, okay? Turns out not all of that movie is true, <laughs> but most movies aren't, but it's based on reality. Now, that's a king. That's not, the same. that's not Darius. That's King Xerxes. That's two more kings after Darius, but it's a very similar time frame to these things, so the Persian... Empire was powerful and its army was powerful and they had wealth and power, uh, but they allowed the Jews to return and rebuild the temple and start to put together their society. Okay? Verse 2 Thus says the Lord of hosts. So now Haggai is going to tell. Uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people what the Lord God is telling them. They've been now back in the land. Actually, we have lots of dates in in this book of prophecy. Uh, The first date that we saw uh, is August 29th, 520 B.C. So that's the first sermon, the sermon that we're about to hear. This first message from the prophet Haggai comes August 29th, 520 B.C. And he says this, this is what God says. This is what the Lord of hosts says. These people, now note he doesn't say my people, because they weren't acting yet in accordance to his will. These people, talking about the Israelites, say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came, by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Now he's speaking. This is what God says. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruins, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here's what's going on. They've come back into the land, they've begun to rebuild the temple, and and they look around and they say, you know what? Maybe let's focus. Let's, let's just push pause on rebuilding this temple. Let's get our own houses in order. Let's build our own houses. Let's get stable. Let's get things running back. And then once we get everything orderly, then we'll turn our focus back on God's house. And God says, what? And the key word here, and it's mentioned, how many times is it mentioned? It's mentioned 14 times in the book of Haggai, the name for God which is the Lord of hosts. And that's intentional. There's many names of God in the Old Testament. This one, I believe, is intentional. What he's saying, Lord of hosts, means this. This is the Lord of the angel armies. That's the hosts. The hosts of heaven. God is the God of angel armies. His dwelling is in heaven. He has an army of, of heavenly angels. And, and, and why, why is this such an important word? Whose house matters more? The Lord of hosts? your house 14 times he says it that title is used 500 or 265 times in the old testament 14 times right here in this prophet to remind the people because that's the central argument i am god the lord of hosts you are man and yet you've prioritized the building of your own house over the building of my house something's off something's not quite right. We're going to sing a song at the end of the surface, How Great Thou Art. And that's a great song. It remembers us to look and consider the heavens and to remember who God is and who we are. And in this trying to determine what is eternal, what what a priority should I have, it's so important. God is the God of the universe. And we, though he loves us, are simply instruments for the building of his house. Now, in the Old Testament, this house of God is symbolized in the temple, the dwelling place of God. Now, when we get, I just need to tell you this because what I'm not, this is not a building campaign. <laughs> we love the school. This is not what I'm talking about because in the New Testament, God will tell us that his dwelling place is no longer in the temple. But his dwelling place is in the community of believers. In fact, each and every one of us becomes the temple of God as he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us. So we, as the community of believers, the family of God, we are the new house of God. So all the comments that I'll make about how do we prioritize the house of God uh, versus our own endeavors, our own kingdom, think about the community of believers, the church of Jesus Christ here in this place, in this time, okay? When we're trying to do this work, look, look at this really important uh, phrase here. Consider your ways. Six times in this prophet, he will say consider your ways. Now, if you've been around Sideris, you realize this is a really important word for us. Our name, Sideris, is a Latin root of the word consider. Consider literally means with Heavenly body. And God gave me this message. Tell the people to consider Jesus 12 years ago today, March 17th. March 17th, 2007, my sister was killed in a bicycling accident. And I was at a St. Patrick's Day parade and got three phone calls from my dad. I finally picked up the third phone call and he told me, Kim is dead. 25 minutes later, after screaming and yelling and sobbing, I sat up against a chain link fence with my back against the fence and a peace came over me. And my vision went to white and God delivered to me a message from my sister Kim. Asked them to consider Jesus. And for 12 years, I've tried to do that. And so when I opened up this book to prepare this week, I hadn't actually, I don't have the foresight to plan this far in advance, I opened it up and I said six times, consider your ways, this is a message for this day. This is a message and always has been the message of consider. What would it look like to prioritize, to pick your paths, to make your big life decisions, not... With just earthly eyes, not just with your earthly body in mind, but with your heavenly body. That's what consider means, with heavenly body. With your new resurrected self that Jesus Christ purchased for you on the cross and proved that it is a reality in his resurrection and says you too will experience a resurrection like mine and be given a new heavenly body what if you could see with those eyes what decisions would you make what things would you invest in what paths would you go down whose house would you build if we could time travel and see from that time from that place What would we say about our ways now? We can't time travel. We must live by faith and trust the words and obey the words of the one who does see the beginning from the end. And trust that what he tells us is eternal is actually eternal. Consider your ways Now look at verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You churn and you churn and you work and you work and you... And it doesn't seem to produce what it should. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider... Your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Whose house? God's house. Felt like a football coach there. (laughs) Whose house? Okay, God's house. (laughs) Why? 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 That I, this is God speaking, that I, God, may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." God is frustrating our endeavors, he's saying, because we have misprioritized his kingdom, his eternal house, and we have prioritized our temporary earthly existence. He says, flip those around, and I'll remove that frustration. That's the book of Haggai. This is intense words. Consider your ways, says God. Now let's just do simple consideration, just to make make this crystal clear. Do you believe that there is life after death? Ask and answer that question in your head. Now we might not all answer the, the question the same. Do you believe that? If yes, ask another question. Do you believe that you will get to take your house with you? I mean, this is how simple it is, but seriously, do you think you can take it with you? If no, what will you get to take with you? What do you think? Or you could ask it this way Whose house will endure? Will God's house be there? Remember, God's house now, he said, is his people. What do you think endures? The people of God, where the Spirit of God indwells, his temple, this is what endures. That's how I answer these questions. How do you answer them? Consider your ways. Do your ways line up with your answers to these considering questions? for most of my life they didn't you know what my plan was I was an accountant had a great job in a big accounting firm and I was and, and what I'm, I'm gonna say this I'm not saying this to say if this is your life path you've done something wrong I'm just saying when I re asked these simple questions in light of what God had asked me to do it changed my path it changed my ways but I had planned to live 60 years of my life for myself and then once I turned 60 then I would give it all back to God to build this house. That, that was honestly my plan, and that's better than most. <laughs> you see, these Israelites weren't like, we're never going to build your temple. They're just saying, let's, let's do it in a little bit. And God says, no, 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 no. You're hurting yourselves because you're getting our priorities wrong. Now, I could have stayed and done that same job for my whole life and still had changed my priorities, and it would have, it would have made my life look very, very different, even though my job didn't change. But when you consider your ways, it changes things. When I look back on my life from the shores of eternity, what will I say about my ways? What will I say about my financial decisions? What will I say about my priorities? What will I say about my choice of spouse? What will I say about my sexual uh, lifestyle? What will I say about my time management? What will I say about my habits of gospel proclamation? You see, it's easy to say now, well, let's wait. Let's wait to share the gospel. Well, my sister only lived 26 years on this earth. I'm glad my parents didn't wait to tell her until she had kids because she never did. You see? Our habits change when we start to ask these tough but simple questions about what will endure now, now, if you're asking yourself and you're saying, what if you're considering your ways right now and you're, and, and, and you're trying to do that from an exter- uh, uh, eternal perspective and you're looking back on your life and, and you begin to get uh, a little bit, you know, you see my eyes are getting white, you're like, oh no. And you come to the clues, you're like, holy chardonnay, the wine of heaven is so much sweeter than I've given it credit for. I've been so excited to do that. Okay. <laughs> holy chardonnay. (laughs) Now, if you're a red wine person, they've got that too. But here's here's what you should do. And I'll say what you should do by first saying what you shouldn't do. Don't sulk. Don't self-hate. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. And don't double down. They'll say, like, I've already ruined it. I better sin all the more. That's the gambler's mentality. (laughs) Like, you know what? I've already lost all this money. I might as well lose it all. No, don't do that. Verse 12. What's verse 12 tell us to do? Then Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, when they'd heard this about what was actually going on, and they'd had their priorities backwards, look at what they did. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. You see that? Just start obeying the voice of God, invert your priorities, change your mind, choose a new, better path, make building God's kingdom, God's house, God's people and community, the church, more important than your own house, your own comfort, your own pleasure, your own experiences, your own vacations, just make it more important. That's not to say any of those things are bad. Having a house is not bad. Going on vacation is not bad. Comfort is not bad. Pleasure is not bad. We have Chardonnay in this life as well. It's quite good, I hear. More of a red wine guy. <laughs> They're not bad, but you have to get the first thing first. Otherwise, it spoils all the other things. That's the message of Haggad. That's the message. So you say, okay. You've convinced me. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I have Get the first thing first and the rest will be added unto you. Somebody said that somewhere. But how do you get the first thing first? What does it take to build God's house? How do we build God's house? Part of building God's house is building up the local church, church planting. This is what we're a part of at Sedaris. We're building God's house. How do we build it right? First thing we have to have the right foundation. We have to have the right foundation. If you've ever built anything, you've gotta start with the right foundation because you could build a really great thing. If it doesn't have a good foundation, eventually it's gonna fall down. So we have to have the right foundation. What is the right foundation? Scripture is very clear on this. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Psalm 118 predicted that a Messiah would be coming and he would be the cornerstone of God's kingdom. It says right here, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is a prediction. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came and Jesus himself in the gospels, in Luke 20 in particular, he will actually quote this verse. He says, I am the stone that the builders rejected. And we'll look at that in just a second. Because it's a fascinating story that leads Jesus to say, I am Psalm 18. I am the cornerstone. I am the one that the people reject, but God will build his house upon. Now, what is so important about a cornerstone? It is the fundamental piece of rock or slab, because they would build things with stone back then, that every other stone was then laid upon. And this stone had to be perfect. It had to be true vertical so that the whole house didn't tilt. Jesus Christ is the only truly perfect human being that has ever walked. The only perfect king that's worth following. He is true vertical. And when we set ourselves on his life, we too can live a life of righteousness. The path of righteousness. So he is the cornerstone. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen says this. Again, predicting this Messiah, he says, God says, I lay a stone in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Jesus Christ is a tested cornerstone. He doesn't look like he might be. He's been tested. How has he been tested? He lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died and he absorbed the wrath of God, the fire of God, the judgment of God upon our sin And three days later, he walked out of the grave. Guess what? Tested and true. He can withstand anything, even the wrath of the Father. And so if we build our house upon him, we can trust it. He is the cornerstone. Yes, he is rejected often. He had to be rejected first. But he is tested and we can build our church on him. We must build our church upon him. We must build our individual lives upon him before we do anything else. Second thing, we need resources. You have to build a house, gotta have a good foundation and then you need resources. You need to go to the hills and you need to get wood and you need to bring wood back. The mission of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, the house of God cannot be built without resources, including money. And I won't talk about it much now, but giving your financial resources to God's house is a really important thing. God wants your first fruits. Me and my family, we give 10%. That's what the Old Testament would have believed when Haggai wrote this. They would have heard, am I giving my tithe, my 10th, my first 10th to God's house? It is a way to position your heart in alignment with making the first things the first things. And I didn't do this my whole life, but I'll tell you what, I've experienced a lot of the blessings and the peace that comes by putting God first when I started doing what he said. (laughs) You need resources to build a house. This is something each and every one of us, especially most most of us are pretty young in this room, we're starting our careers, we don't have what we seem to be uh, a lot of capital a lot of property, and so we can fall into this mentality. Let me just get those things set up, and then I'll start giving to the church and to God's mission. That's where I was until God woke me up and said, what are you doing? Those things that you're saving for and waiting for, are they temporary or are they eternal? doesn't mean they're bad just means don't wait to do what God has told you to do by giving resources to his church, his kingdom, his community, okay? So you need a foundation, you need resources, and then you need laborers, lots of them, and you need skilled labor. You see? You need just labor and you need skilled labor. Look at verse 14. It says this. It says this. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And they did it on September 21st, 520 B.C. So this is a very effective preacher. Remember what I said where he started? August 29th, 520. September 21st, 520. This is very effective preaching by Haggai. I've never experienced such effective preaching. <laughs> But I hope one day to experience a one-month turnaround <laughs> in my preaching. But you see, they all came together. They need, you need laborers to build the house of God. A few people can't do it. All the remnant need to come together and build upon this foundation. To build upon this foundation. And what's so cool in this, in this verse is look who is at the heart of all of it. You see what God did? God stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the spirit of the remnant. And here's what you have to build a house. You need labor and you need skilled labor, but most of all, you need spirit inspired labor. And look what you have you have Haggai, filled with the spirit, bringing the words of God. You have a prophet. You have Joshua, the priest, filled with the spirit. Bringing the people, connecting the people to God in their work, and you have a king, Zerubbabel, the governor. You have somebody with these giftings of administration and organization and planning. You need prophets, priests, and kings. Guess what the Bible says about Jesus? He is the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, and the greatest king. And he sends his spirit back into the world after the ascension to fill his people, all the remnant, with gifts of prophecy, gifts of priestliness, gifts of kingliness. And there are people in our community who have these gifts. And if you are allowing the spirit of God to fill you, you need to go use those gifts. If you have a gift of organization, you have a gift of finance, you have a gift of of. of, of planning. You need to use your kingly gift in the building up of God's house, not only in your secular vocation, though that is very important as well. But you must use those gifts because God, Jesus Christ, is prophet, priest, and king, and he's given the church prophet, priests, and kings. And when we all come together and do the work of building up the house, we start to lay upon that foundation using the resources God's given us to build a house to the glory of God. All the people, Make sense? Okay, so we got foundation, resources, labor, and the last thing we need here, or not the last, the second to last thing we need is endurance to keep going. Look at, look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, big 2, verses 3 to 10. Read those with me. They've started, so, so they've started, they've resumed building the temple after taking about 15-year break. They've started it again. Because they've obeyed the voice of God. And verse 3 says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know what you're thinking. All this work, and yet it still looks nothing like the greatness of the temple that was here before. Do you see that? And, and, and he's saying, I get that. <laughs> I understand. And, and look what he says. Verse 4. Yet now... Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, He's saying, I know it doesn't seem now like the work you're doing is equating uh, to eternal glories. But you have to trust me. I am with you. Keep going. Be strong. Do not read the tea leaves of the culture and the society that says, why are you wasting your time? The church is falling apart. The church is crumbling. Nobody cares what you're doing. If you haven't felt this in Seattle, you're not listening. Especially in this city, everybody around us is telling us it's not worth it. Why do you keep building up that which is old? We'll never get back to the former glories of the church in this city or this country or this western culture. You know what God says? Be strong. Keep building my house. And I promise you, that the glories that are to come are so much greater than the glories of the past. We are not in the twilight years, unless what you mean by the twilight years is right before God does a resurrection. (laughs) Jesus sat in the grave one night, two nights. Oh my gosh, we wasted all our time, the disciples said. We followed a man who was nothing more than a teacher. And then the third day came. But guess what you need to have endurance? Endurance comes through vision. With no vision, you will give up. You will wonder if the sacrifice is worth it. You will wonder if you should turn around and go back. You will wonder if the world was right about this whole Jesus thing. You will begin to ask God, what about me? God, don't you want me to have good things? With no vision, you will give up. You need vision, and vision comes through the Spirit. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, writing to the New Testament church, tells us this. We do, however, speak of a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's Jesus. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by what? His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Do you hear it? He's saying the only way to endure when it seems like we'll never get there is to ask The Spirit which searches the mind of God the Father, the great architect, the one with the plan, the one that is putting all things back together, to have that Spirit tell us. And luckily, Jesus has sent us His Spirit. So when we lean into the Spirit of God and we pray, God, give us vision to endure, He will give us vision so that we can see things that no mind has conceived, that the greatest minds of this city cannot see, that they would think is foolish, but that the vision that comes from the Spirit gives to us. This is amazing. This is beautiful. But without the spirit and without the vision given to us, we will not be able to be strong. We will not endure. So this is how we build the house. We build the house. And how does the house completion come into being? That's the final thing. And it's a capstone. So if you're building a house... You start with the cornerstone, you build it up, build it up, and then you always put on a capstone. Now what's so interesting is this word cornerstone can also be translated in the Greek as capstone. Guess what? Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the cornerstone and he's the capstone. He is the beginning and the end. And anything that is not encapsulated on both sides by Jesus will not last eternally. And often, this capstone in ancient buildings was beautiful and ornate. And our Jesus came into this world a suffering servant. The Bible says people looked at him and they thought he was nothing. He was common and dirty. A carpenter. What good thing can come from Nazareth, they said. But guess what? When the capstone comes back to finish the building he will be in his full, radiant glory. And nobody's going to mistake that that is God. And when he returns, when the capstone returns, the New New Testament says some pretty scary things. In Luke 20, that, uh, that passage where Jesus calls himself the fulfillment of Psalm 18. He says, I am the stone that the builders rejected. Right before that, he's just told a parable about a vineyard that was rented out. Rented out to some tenants, and the tenants took that vineyard, um, and they used it for their own gain and the building up of their own wealth and their own comfort and their own pleasure, and then God said, okay, I'm going to send some of my servants now to begin to transition it back to my ownership and control. And you know what they did to those servants? They killed them. You know in the parable who the servants are? The prophets. And then in the parable Jesus says, and then when I'd sent all my best servants and they'd killed them all, I decided I'll send the son because surely they'll respect my son because they know who the owner is. And guess what happens? The son goes to the vineyard and guess what the tenants did to the son? They killed them. Or they killed him. And it's right on the tail end of this, and I think we have it up here, that Jesus says, After you kill my son, he, that's the owner of the vineyard, will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, and, the, and he's speaking to the religious leaders, the religious elites of Israel, when the religious elites heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them, Jesus looked directly at them, and said, What then? is this that is written, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That's that capstone. The weight and the glory of Jesus Christ when he comes back will crush all those things which are not founded on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ himself. And the scribes and the chiefs sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. Guess why? Because they wanted to kill him because they didn't like that he was telling them that they were on the wrong side of the equation. One more. Well, let me just say about that. Every, every house that's built, every church that's built, every individual kingdom that's built, that is not uh, led by Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, and not waiting for Jesus to come back, that is not built upon Jesus, will in the end cease to exist. It will be made to nothing. It will break to pieces. We don't want to be that kind of church at Sedaris. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 15 says uh, a really hard truth. And here he's speaking to true, true believers. In the first, Jesus is speaking to those who are definitely against God's will. In, in, in this verse, this is to Christians who have received Jesus Christ as, as their own, but, have, but he's, he's warning them, be careful how you now build this house. Look at what Paul says. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. I pray to God that at Sedaris Church we have built a foundation upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. I pray to God that that is true, that I have done a good job of that. But look, somebody else builds upon it. This is not my church. This is not Ryan's church. This is our church. We all build upon this foundation of Jesus Christ. Let each one, go back, go back real quick, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Next slide. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, see the big capital D? The day, that's this day that the prophets talk about, the day when the capstone returns, when God comes back to judge the living and the dead, the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is, uh, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. You, you hear this? God's saying, yes, you'll still be saved, but all that energy, all that work, all that you did... Even to build up my house, if you did not do it in the power of the Spirit, you are doing it in vain. And at the day of the Lord, it will be revealed by fire because the fire will come in and it will be broken to pieces. Yes, you'll be saved. Your salvation is not at risk. Once saved, always saved. God has redeemed you. He puts his arms around you. He will not let you go. But all that work, all that toil, all those things that you do, even supposedly in the name of Jesus, if they're not truly done in the Spirit, they will be burned up in the end. This is terrifying. To think, what kind of work am I doing? What kind of work are we doing as a church? Uh, I, I, I try to figure out, what, what is like this in our world? Turns out diamonds, you can find out if they're, you could do this at home. You can find out if they're true or not true. You can, you can heat them up with, with a, with a, a you know, blowtorch, whatever you have. <laughs> if you don't have a blowtorch, tough luck. Can't do this. No. I think you heat it up with all sorts of things. Bunsen burners, great. I Love Bunsen burners. You could probably maybe use a candle. I don't know if you get it hot enough. But you heat it up. You test it by fire. And then you drop it into a cold glass of water. And if it's not a diamond, you know what happens? It scatters and breaks to pieces. It'll be tested by fire. But those things that are eternal, um, those things that we sow into the kingdom of God, they will be tested by fire. And those that are will remain. And our reward will be great in heaven. We'll get to take those things with us. And I think primarily what those things are, are the relationships that we build into. In this life, we get to bring them with us for eternity. What a great promise. What a great promise. Okay. How do we know? How do we know if the work of our hands is pure, like that diamond, or if it's fake, if it's perishable, if it's a cheap knockoff? Well, the answer is we have to find out if it's been touched by Jesus Christ himself. Is it infused with the power of the Spirit of Christ or have we done it in our own strength? Is this my own strength because I'm naturally strong or is it strength given to me by the Spirit of Christ? Is this my own talent? Because I'm talented or is it talent given to me in Christ and and, and stirred up to a flame because Christ is with me? Is it my own intelligence and insight because I'm quite bright and learned or is it because Christ in me gives me keen insight that I couldn't see? Wisdom from on above because the Spirit brings back from the Father. Is it because we're just wealthy that we can build, say, a great cathedral or is it because God has led the design and building By his spirit to steward our resources well. You see how challenging this is, particularly for strong, talented, wealthy, intelligent people? Look to your left and look to your right. You're sitting next to a strong, talented, intellectual, wealthy person. Unless you're sitting next to me. (laughs) Nobody is. You see, we are so gifted naturally in the city in our church and so we can just try to build things on our own and we'll do a pretty good job of it actually we have to keep asking are we truly leaning into the spirit of God so that our things that we build are truly eternal things how do we know how do we know this is so hard to know I think that the text gives us a couple hints okay a couple hints Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7. First hint, he says this, Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified. All the works that you do, all the strengths, talents, intellects, wealth that you use to build into God's kingdom, is it bringing glory to God? Is it bringing glory to Jesus? Or is it bringing glory to self? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people who say, oh, where do you go to church? And they say, I'll go to church here. And they say, I say, well, what do you love about that church? And they always say, oh, so-and-so is such a great preacher. Or so-and-so is such, they have such great music. And I say, that's not a bad thing. But the better answer is, this church truly glorifies Jesus Christ. This God makes much of Jesus and you can't just say those things. You have to actually embody those things. So you could say, I love the preaching. It brings and glorifies Christ and puts him at the center, and I love this church. That's what I hope we say of Sedaris. I don't want people to say, preaching's terrible, but they love Jesus. <laughs> I hope the preaching's okay. And it brings much glory to Jesus Christ, that the Spirit is here. So that's the first thing. Who's getting the glory? With all the work that you're doing, who's getting the glory? That's a way to know if you're building into something eternal or building into something temporary. Who's, who's getting peace? Peace that surpasses understanding. Chapter 2, uh, verse 9 says this, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, and, I, and in this place I will give peace. When you seek out truly the kingdom of God and building his house and make it your priority, you will experience peace that surpasses understanding. And you won't understand why. What's changed? Your heart has changed. Your priority has changed. And you know that you have true purpose because you're building something eternal. And there is nothing that brings more peace than knowing that you're not toiling in vain, that you have purpose and meaning in this life, and that your work matters. And when you build into the house of God, And that's not just in the things that happen in these walls, but even in your workplace, that you're working unto the Lord for his glory and you're building into his fame and reputation. You know that everything has purpose and it gives you intense peace. And I've talked to people. I've talked to uh, people this week who have experienced the change and the shift in that. You should be experiencing a kind of peace that comes from the purposeful work of doing God's kingdom building and not Dave's kingdom building not your kingdom building. And then finally, you will experience blessing from the Lord. What we see in the text is as soon as they start to rebuild the temple, not once it's finished, but once they change their priorities, God says, this is verse 19 if you want to look at it, chapter 2, but from this day on I will bless you. Meaning the curse has been removed from Israel and and no longer does the output not equal the input for the people of Israel. You can read chapter 2, it'll explain this. They were putting in the work and sowing the seeds, but the produce wasn't coming. It was only coming at 50%. They were, they were building their vineyards, but the, the, the yield was, was less than 40%. And God says, now that you've re- removed your priorities, everything else in life is going to start matching up. That doesn't mean you just get things. It means that when you put in the work, God says, I will not frustrate that work. I will bless that work, and you will reap what you sow. You'll still come home tired as a dog. You'll still work hard, but, but you will get what you put in. That's the promises of God. Wish I had more time to talk about that. These are really hard questions. And really hard, not just because they're convicting, but really hard because I'm not sure all the time if the work of my hands is for God's house or for my own house. But friends... It's worth it. It's worth it. So what can you do? Here's how you can pray. You say, "God, we're not praying, this is how we would pray." Okay. God, <laughs> cuz I want you to write some of these down. God, grant me the faith I need to build your house. Because you need the vision to do it. You need the faith to know that it's worth it, that you're not laboring in vain. God, give me, or give us, the laborers for the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, give us the laborers. God, make me, make us, good stewards of the money and the resources you've entrusted to us. God, give us eternal perspective that we may consider your ways, that we may consider our ways in the light of our heavenly bodies and not our earthly. God, grant us the strength that comes from your spirit and not just lean on our own strength and help us to be able to discern the difference. God, give us your peace and your blessings to affirm the paths that, with which we go right? Pray for God to give you peace and blessing that you might know that you're going the right way, that you're investing in the right ways, in the right places. And then say this, God, whether in any growth or any success or any recognition that we may receive as individuals or as a church, God may it be for your fame and your glory of your son Jesus Christ and not for our own. Not for our own name, not for our own church, not for our own tribe, but for Jesus Christ and, and then you say this and this is, this is hard to pray but you say God if I'm building for myself tear it down forcefully and obviously and painfully wake me up so that I stop investing everything that I have into something that is temporary. Are you willing to pray that prayer to God? To wake you up? It's a terrifying prayer, but I think we should pray it. Because building into the house of God is not just a command, it's a privilege. Do you believe it? God, the Lord of hosts, Has asked you to come build his house, to use your gifts and your talents and your resources to build his house. That is a privilege, my friends. I pray that we start seeing it as such. Let's pray. Father, help us to consider your ways, not our own ways. But your ways and to live into the things that you've called us to. Help us to obey your voice, to hear your voice clearly. Wake us up, God, if we are just pouring ourselves into that which is only temporary. Help us to make micro shifts in our priorities so that even if we don't change careers, that we might see in our career how we can bring glory to your name and not just build up our wealth. In our name, God, and help us. Give give us encouragement along the way. Show us through peace and blessings that we're headed towards reorienting our lives as you would want, reorienting our priorities as you would want, doing things in the right order, getting the first things first. Give us us those glimpses that we're doing it right because, God, we want to do it right. We want our church to be doing it right. Help us to see. And if not, God, radically wake us up. Shake us to the core that we might change our ways to bring glory to your name. It's Jesus Christ who accomplished and finished the work. It's in his name that we pray, amen.